0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: On today's show, Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Fauci, what are we talking about? Oh, man. Given the recent news of Malcolm Brogdon winning sixth man of the year, we thought we
2: would revisit the trade between the boston celtics and the indiana pacers who was the winner
1: who was the loser was it a win-win i don't know but we're gonna break it all down for you yeah we got 10 questions to cover this topic and we also have fan of the week on gauge so let's take a quick break we'll be right back after this this is tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to setting the pace Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and returning from Mexico, ladies and gentlemen, he's been all over the world. He is a man that's trying to accomplish a lot of things before he becomes a dad. It's Michael, the father, Focci. Fachi, what's going on, brother?
2: Hey, the countdown is on. We're about seven weeks out until baby Fachi arrives in this world, mm. which means I have more than enough time to talk Indiana Pacer basketball. Alex, you know it kills me to miss an episode. I'm back, and I'm
1: excited to talk some Pacers today, absolutely. So unfortunately, Fachi wasn't on the last show, so he doesn't get a chance to defend himself. But <laughs> you know, the people do know that Fachi was at the Tommy Shepard celebration party for him being fired from the Wizards. So you Remember know, that. they went to Mexico. That's how that's how crazy it got for that. So just got to say, I mean, hey, I would be celebrating too, Tommy Shepard. It's just a bad bad GM, Focci. So, congratulations to all your Wizards friends. That maybe you're not a fan of, but hey, you're just a supportive supportive friend right there, Foch. But uh, no, we had to break it up into two parts because it went way too long. So I, I just want to put it out here. I have totally messed up the episode count multiple times this last week. Um, I, I put on our YouTube page, it was episode 497. It actually, I was trying to write 597 because we've already had episode 500, but it was actually 598. So I'm all over the place. So just ignore that it says episode 497. I realized that after I uploaded, I said, how did I mess that up? But this technically if you don't count part one and part two of the last episode that we just did this would be episode 600 fachi so a pretty big milestone for us and i think you know the fact that we're we're 600 episodes in is just crazy to me but um we're, we're going longer than like seinfeld and friends combined
2: it really i mean 600 i remember when we made a big deal out of episode 100 yeah we were like who are we going to get for the 100th episode? Like, it's got to be this big guest. And, you know, I remember some people giving us some shout outs like, wow, episode 100. But you got to realize how many podcasts have you listened to or heard of that are have come and gone? You know, some yeah. people might go strong for 10 episodes, 20, maybe 50. Not many reach 100. Very few ever get to 600 episodes. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. This show is long gone, over with and forgotten if it isn't for you, the listeners who keep us going, who keep caring, who share the episodes, who say, wow, you know what, you guys should touch on this, who spark the conversations that need to be had on here. So I think we got the best listeners out here in episode 600. Oh man, I can't wait until we one day crack that 1000 episode and keep going from there.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'm, we're going to celebrate with a fan of the week, Gage. He's going to be coming on at the end of the show to celebrate episode 600. But I will say this, like Bocce said, we love hearing your feedback. You know, got a lot of feedback from the Pacers group chat podcast that I put out over the weekend. A lot of it was directed at me for some of the stuff I said. I heard you loud and clear, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you giving me the feedback. And if you don't agree with me, that's totally fine because today we're going to get into a very interesting topic because Bocce said at the beginning Malcolm Brogdon won six minute of the year for the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics have been playing pretty good basketball. They're up three games to one on the Atlanta Hawks. DeJounte Murray has been suspended for game five for bumping into an official. So it looks like they'll probably wrap that up, and then they'll get to play the Philadelphia 76ers in round two, which could be a big one. But I'm just going to put it out there. I think Malcolm Brogdon has had a fantastic season, fachi off the bench. And I thought Aaron Neesmith had a really nice season here with the Pacers. But the way we're going to break this down is we have 10 questions listed. So we're going to read the first question. Let's start from the very beginning before Brogdon was traded. What did you think Brogdon's value was before the trade took place, Faj?
2: Before the trade took place, I was a little bit worried what his value would be because there's two different ways to look at this. I felt that his value was declining. He was once viewed as one of the biggest acquisitions in Pacers history. I know it went down as a sign and trade, but it was like, I felt the time, wow, like Brogdon trading, assigning with us. Like this was like, it felt like it was at the time on the level of David West choosing the Pacers, and that was this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. However, during his three years in Indiana, he never played more than 56 games in a year. So that that breaks down to 68% um, of, of the season he was playing. And then I started being like, well, you know what? We tried him at point guard, but he's not a true point guard. And then he wasn't the same 50, 40, 90 guys before. Actually, he was pretty much becoming a 45, 31, 85 guy. It was, it was a steep drop-off. Here's where you and I differed on this. You felt that the two-year, forty-five million-dollar extension would help. I thought it hurt because he was already an injury, you know, prone guy. So I thought that his
1: value was was starting to go down uh, before the trade. I, I still stand pretty firm in my belief that that contract was not that bad. That extension was not that bad, and I don't think it hurt. I think it actually helped with the trade facilitation, uh, facilitating that trade, just because. You know, he had two years left, and it was at a pretty reasonable price. You know, a lot of guys that are like your best player on your team are making 30 to 35. And at this point, we know that him and Sabonis were the one-two punch for the Pacers for a couple of years once Oladipo went down with that injury. So, you know, it was was Malcolm, and it was Domas, and then you had your filling pieces in with Miles when he would play, sometimes TJ Warren when he was healthy, and then Caris LeVert. So I think last year it was just kind of like, okay, this point I think – the value for Brogdon was hard to figure out just because he set out the remainder of the season when he came back. And there was some rumblings that he probably could have came back, but at the same point, we just didn't know. So it's like, is this guy really injured? Is he going to stay injured? And like you said, play 56 games per year, right? On average. So most, yeah. So at most only 56 games, which is two thirds of a season probably. So, you you hate to say that, but it, it felt like he's a starter on the Pacers. He probably could start next to Halliburton, but what is his true value? So I, I feel like I think a lot of people said a young player and a pick. It's kind of what I remember listening back to from different uh, podcasts and stuff. And the Pacers, you know, they ended up getting that, but we're not going to get there yet. So um, before we get into the trade, though, let's lay out what the trade allowed the Pacers to do, because I think this is a big thing here because we have to know why they would even consider this trade in the first place.
2: Exactly, because I had people texting me, oh my God, the Pacers got robbed. Well, let's talk about what this trade allowed them to do. The trade allowed the Pacers to officially hand the keys over to Tyrese Halberd and Mm -hmm. be the leader, the starting point guard of the team. We got out of the $67 million owed to Malcolm Brogdon. We added in a young, cost-effective wing in Aaron Neesmith. We added depth at center, not knowing what the situation would be for Miles Turner, if he would be moved or not. I think everybody kind of viewed Goga as someone who wasn't going to be here long term. And then we acquired a late first round pick. Uh, We knew that pick was not going to be a great pick. We figured it was probably going to be between 25 to 30. So overall, in regards to dollars, it equated to saving the Pacers about $45 million and cleared up some playing time at the guard spots.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, because while it didn't technically give us the amount of money we needed to make the contract offer to DeAndre Ayton, it was a big part in doing that. Big part. You also had a crowded backcourt, and they had already drafted Andrew Nembhard and Benedict Matherin. They had Buddy Hill on the roster with Tyrese Halliburton. So where were the Brogdon minutes coming from? Who is he going to be, you know, still a from? And you already have McConnell on the roster, too, mm-hmm. which they love. So it's kind of like, OK, do we have too many guards at this point? To be fair, they did trade for a guard in this trade in Aaron Neesmith because he was viewed as a guard at this point. Um, you can maybe say he could play the three, but I think Brogdon guarded a lot of threes yeah. when he played. So he could have played with Mathern and Halliburton if he really wanted to. Um, but I but I do think that we saw when they played together, Halliburton and Matherin, that Halliburton deferred a little bit to letting Malcolm kind of run the show. And that was the like big thing is that we want him to have the full reins. Like this is your team. You're the leader of the team. And because Brogdon had been viewed as a leader of the team at this point, I think that it was kind of hard to, you know, basically give the keys to Halliburton all the way with Brogdon still in the roster. So that to me is part of the reason why I think this was a, a big deal in trying to move off of him.
2: I completely agree because we saw it for the few games that they played, and you, you talked about it. Halliburton just didn't feel like he could truly one hundred percent blossom playing alongside Brogdon. We saw like his shot attempts should be down, and it was just—it was almost like he was looking to Brogdon to kind of be like the alpha guard. And instead, it's like, oh man, like I just—I just feel that as long as Brogdon was going to be there, there was going to be a little bit of holding Halliburton back. So I think this move was more. Are meant to say hey we want to usher in a, a bit of a new era have a new voice as that leader and you know in order
1: for that to happen sometimes you kind of got to get rid of the old voice for sure for sure so let's move on to question number three now so Fachi what was your gut reaction to the trade in the moment gut reaction in the moment was this was a move to save money
2: and go after DeAndre Hayden because we talked about like we knew the Pacers had had interest over there, but how were you going to clear the room? And when they did that, that basically, it was like, (laughs) I think they were just about, you know, maybe one or $2 million shy. And that's when Dwayne Washington came in as that final release to be able to offer that full max salary to DeAndre. And so I, I felt like when I looked at it, I was like, you know what? This didn't seem like a move to get better. It felt like a move to cut salary, promote Halliburton as that leader. And, you know, it just kind of felt like, you know what, this is, they probably wanted to make this move happen before the year to have a clean slate rather than let this drag on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think in the moment we had already heard about the rumors that the Pacers had tried to trade him on draft night. And there was some talk about Washington and even Brogdon did come back and say this after he was traded that he thought he was going to be a wizard on draft night and the Pacers were trying to get back into the lottery. And we know at this point that the Wizards, with the tenth pick, took Johnny Davis instead of trading for Malcolm Brogdon. Now you can say that was a bad decision by them, but um, it's Tommy Shepard. What do you expect? So I just, I just felt like at this point I was expecting a bigger trade. So when we saw that it was the Celtics, I was like, we need to What are we going to do with Daniel Tice? He's obviously going to be flipped. Like there's no way we keep him. You saw the three players thrown in there: Mal- Malik Fitz, Jawan Morgan, and do you remember the other one? Nick Stauskas next oh that's right next time indiana pacer <laughs>
2: and,
1: and we knew they were not going to be a part of the roster long term it's a wave and stretch and then you're looking at Aaron Neesmith and a and a late first round pick because at this point the Celtics had just got to the finals like everybody knew this pick at the best is going to be like 27 and I think it's 29 right now so they had the second best record in the NBA like I thought so they got a pretty man first and they got a lottery player from the same draft that Halliburton and Jalen Smith were a part of so you know like I thought at this point, my gut reaction was, "Oh, I'm just glad that they moved on from Brogdon because I think we were all ready to see that happen." But you know, I, I just kind of wonder now if that was the right gut reaction, patch
2: No, it's it's a, it's a valid point. I don't think in the moment anyone really thought, "Wow, the Pacers got better here." You know, yeah. it was just like they made the move, and you felt like they got a plan. They got there's something's gonna there's gonna be another move mm-hmm. after this. And if you remember, it, it took some time. It's not like they made this trip. First, we had to wait for this trade to go through, the players to be stretched. And then it was like, okay, now where's Aiton? And that took a while. And, and it was just a series of waiting. And in the end, obviously, everybody knows Phoenix matches the deal for DeAndre Aiton, and And in the end, the Pacers, I don't think they really had a backup move because a lot of free agents had signed by that yeah. point, And the Pacers were kind of stuck holding on to their cap space.
1: I think the Pacers thought they might be able to facilitate a sign and trade with DeAndre Ayton, including Miles Turner, because we had seen them wait for a very long time before they made this offer. And so I think because they were waiting so long, they were trying to negotiate with Phoenix. And Phoenix was very wrapped up in the Kevin Durant stuff at that point because Kevin Durant requested a trade pretty much after the Gobert trade went down and everything just kind of froze, if you guys remember. So you know, the market was a little bit dry, but the, at this point, I think Gobert and Brogdon were traded on the same day. So it, it's, um if, if I remember correctly, because we were recording sure. when I think the Gobert news broke that he was traded to Minnesota. So, you know, it was one of those trades it was on a Friday afternoon, I remember, because I was almost off work. Yep. And I was like, whoa, Brogdon to the Celtics, what do we get back? And I'm thinking, oh, mm-hmm. we get Grant Williams? Did we get Peyton Pritchard? Yeah, like, Aaron mm-hmm. Neesmith, Daniel Tice, and three names that aren't going to matter, and a late first. okay. Well, at least we got rid of Brogdon. <laughs> like, that's kind of a thing. And I thought, well, Brogdon's going to be great for Boston because I think he's going to fit that culture. Good friends with Jalen Brown. But let's look at it on the flip side, Flatch. Let's say the Pacers decide to hold on to Brogdon and keep him. Could Halliburton and Brogdon have worked together, in your opinion? I think Halliburton could
2: work with anyone. But would he have blossomed into an all-star? Absolutely not. I just think that Brogdon would have held him back. I think that he would have played at a bit of a slower pace, and I don't. I just don't think that Brogdon would have accepted a bench role here. Um, you know, well, I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have came off the bench. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so buddy, buddy said, didn't. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's like I don't think he's coming off the bench. I think he's got to be a starter. So now it's like, does it work between those two? Eh, I don't know. Maybe to an extent, but what happens with Ben Matherin, Andrew Nemhard? Is Nemhard even just really playing that much at all? So I don't think the Pacers – I think the Pacers would have shown Brogdon enough respect to still be giving him the 25 to 30 minutes per game. I don't think all of a sudden he comes down to playing, you know, 10 or 15 minutes a night, especially after a contract extension. So Mm -hmm. uh, bottom line, Halliburton does not blossom into an all-star. He doesn't hit numerous game winners. He doesn't get everyone as involved as he did this season. So I guess to an extent, I don't know if it really would
1: have worked. I'm going to push it back just a little bit because I think that Rick Carlisle would have had that conversation with Brogdon. Hey, listen, we're going to start you at the two guard and we're going to try to find a trade for you. But right now, we need you to work with Halliburton. Um, we need you to play off ball because I think Brogdon's very capable of doing that. And he, he's it, done it, he does it in Boston some. So mm-hmm. it's not that he can't play off ball. It's just that he likes to have the ball in his hands some. And I think you could have manufactured those minutes to where he had the ball without Halliburton on the court at times. So maybe you know, you don't play McConnell as much. That could be something you look at. But like you said, I think the big thing here is Nimhart probably doesn't grow like he does because there's less opportunity. And I think, you know, we don't know what else the roster would have looked like at this point, but I'm just assuming if Brogdon's next to Halliburton, I think it could have worked. I think the Brogdon's a much better defender than Buddy Heald. Yes. And I think that we would have seen some improvements on that end of the floor. How healthy would he have been? We'll have to, you know, we'll never know that question, but he was he was decently healthy this year for boston so enough what do he play 60 games <laughs> i think it might have been 67
2: um but you know for him i think that's really that's, good that's pretty good for brogdon it, it, so. it, it really is so in, in the end that's a success so it is 67 games on the dot okay Shled it up um so that's uh the second most games he's ever played his career yeah
1: that, that's what i'm saying like he had a really good season he won six men of the year obviously so I do believe they could have worked together, but I, I agree with you. He probably wouldn't have came off the bench here for the Pacers. Boston championship aspirations, a little bit easier to make that sacrifice. Yes. Pacers, you know, fifth pick in the draft last year, sixth pick in the draft, sorry, they were fifth spot. They moved back ones. sixth pick in the draft. I get it. It probably would have been like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, what's the what's the end game here? Because Brogdon is in the prime of his career. He doesn't want to be on a tanking team. So uh, the next question to follow this up, question number five, does Buddy Hield still play for the Pacers this last season if Brogdon's on the team to start the year?
2: I I, I just don't know because l- let's look at this. He wouldn't have been able to start. I, no. At that point, we just talked about, you feel like you're not bringing Brogdon off the bench. So you got Haliburton, you got Brogdon starting. It's like, are you going to have Buddy then starting at the three? I, I think at that point, he probably doesn't have, you know, as many touches, as big of a role Um, Which then obviously affects the chemistry with Tyrese Halliburton a little bit in terms of getting Buddy involved. I think Buddy at that point is probably moved because now you're still struggling to find enough minutes for Benedict Matherin. I don't think Andrew, I mean, I don't think uh, uh, Nemhard becomes a thing. And, And it's really just at that point, I think Buddy becomes a bit more expendable.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing we kind of over uh, glossed to here is how they viewed Chris Duarte at this point. Chris yep. Duarte had a really strong rookie season when he played, made all rookie second team. They got Matherin. Uh, they put Matherin and, and Duarte together in the hotel room at Summer League. I think they were really trying to get them to bond together because they're like, this could be our, our two and our three right here. You know, Matherin, six foot six. I think Duarte 65, you got Halliburton 65. Like I feel like they were like, okay, we know they're like technically guards, right? But they could play that bigger position. And I think with Buddy Heald, like I am pretty sh- I'm pretty certain they looked to trade him because we didn't hear the the Lakers Westbrook for Turner Heald trade uh, rumors for no reason. I think that there was some real stuff there. And I still believe that if 27 and 29 would have been on the table for the the Lakers to trade for that, that I definitely think the Pacers would have done that trade because they were looking to rebuild. I mean, they were they were openly saying it. We're going to be a fun young team, but stay with us. It's going to be rough this year. So I, I personally just think, Foch, that Buddy Hill is probably not on this team by the start of the season if they kept Brogdon and, and prioritized, you know, getting his trade value up and, and viewed Buddy more as a, a shooter that finished the season pretty well for the Pacers and was a nice – you know, a nice salary filler for a trade. I think they could have found something there. But um, question number six is where I think we really have to start diving into this because who was Brogdon traded for? Well, the two guys that are on the team, Mary and Daniel Tice. Was were Niesmith and Tice good enough this season to feel like this is a win-win trade? If you're asking any single Celtics
2: fan, they won this deal. One hundred and ten percent. They're gonna be like, We just got the sixth man of the year. We gave you the second worst first round pick available a center that, you know, didn't really do anything this year at all, and then a player that they weren't really developing. So Mm -hmm. on paper, in a moment, yeah, they definitely won the deal. But I I do think this could be a win-win trade, but not yet. If we're going just off of year one, Boston won. They did. Tice played seven games. Neesmith looked good, but the pick was twenty-nine. Boston has every chance to win a championship right now. So I think that if you're to poll people, the majority are going to say Boston won this deal.
1: Yeah. I think what's really funny is like we saw Nimhard get picked with the cast pick last year that we got in the Karis LeVert Mm -hmm. trade. And I said earlier this season, the fact that we got Andrew Nimhard for Karis LeVert to me is a win win. Yeah. So whatever happens with this pick, you know, I still think, you know, I'm pretty happy. I'm going to be happy with it. What's really funny is to think about it, because, I mean, unfortunately, Oladipo got hurt again. Season-ending uh, season, yeah. season ending injury on the knee. I think it was his opposite knee that he had. the, oh, the, the left knee. Left patellar yeah, so, tendon, I believe. Yeah, on this one that he just had. And before, it was the torn quad tendon. So, mm-hmm. he's had a lot of knee injuries. And the fact that they were able to flip an injured, broken Oladipo into Lavert, who ended up becoming Nimhard, like, that's a great move by the Pacers to be able to find Andrew Nimhard and develop him like they have already in one year. But... Looking at Aaron Neesmith, I mean, the guy was a starter, and I think the reason the Pacers had a good portion of the season was when they put Neesmith in the starting lineup. But at the same time, Neesmith without Halliburton just wasn't the same player. So, you know, Daniel Tice, I mean, nobody ever expected him to be more than just a throw in salary-wise, and that's why he was dealt, because he basically had to be for them to make this deal work. And so you're basically looking at it from, from a Neesmith standpoint in terms of, was Neesmith in 29, good enough for, for Brogdon. And I would say right now, you can say probably not. I mean, the fact that Kevin Pritchard even said in the press conference, I don't know if he's a the starter or not. So you traded away your second best player at this point. Yeah, Arguably your best. I mean, you could say that he was better than Halliburton. Probably not long-term thinking, but at the no. moment, in terms of overall talent, maybe he had more experience under his belt, better two-way player. You, you traded one of your best assets and got a, a fringe starter and a back pick. Yeah. It, it, to me, that's it, doesn't feel like a win win trade. If they get somebody that's great at 29, then maybe we can flip it. But right now, there's no way this is a win win trade, in my opinion. At this moment, Boston definitely won the deal. They got their
2: missing piece. The Pacers got a piece. Yeah. And, you know, maybe two. We'll see what happens with pick 29. But that's a trade that Boston does 10 out of 10 times. I don't think the Pacers do this trade 10 out of 10 times.
1: Uh, probably not and what's really funny is Brogdon they gave him the choice to pick where he wanted to go classic yeah. pa- you know classy Pacers
2: move you know hey let, let's try and get this guy to a winner and you know
1: yeah they, the, the, the Pacers <laughs> have had a, a bad rap of not having great relationship with their players uh, Oladipo had some issues with Kevin Pritchard Paul George clearly had some issues behind the scenes um, you know, I think he talked about it recently. Like he just came back from his broken leg and then they're asking him to play the four. It's like, you know, I think we kind of forget about all that kind of stuff. We just think Paul was being a baby, but no, I think Paul had some legit concerns. Like, guys, a legit three. Like, he doesn't like he can play four at the days and be able, but at that time, you saw David West type players playing the four. It was evolving, and the pacers were ahead of their time by thinking about going with Paul at the four, but the league hadn't really seen that full transition yet. So there's just a lot of like nuggets here where the Pacers had kind of fumbled the bag in terms of the communication breakdown with their star players. And I think, you know, Sabonis, you know, Pritchard that same season said that he wasn't a star after he'd just been a two-time All-Star. So, you that's know, tough. you know, kind of like smacking him in the face there with maybe, maybe it was a little bit of truth. Like, you know, you're not gonna win a championship with Sabonis as your best player. I think everybody knows that. But at the same time, you know, they're they're trying to fix past mistakes. And so that's why they're really catering to Brogdon. I think the Raptors were a team that were out there for a potential trade, and there was somebody else, but I can't remember The who Hawks, it, it felt like something could happen with the Hawks before they
2: traded for DeJounte Murray. Gotcha. Brogdon from Atlanta. Uh, I want to say that, that the Hawks were picking around you know 17 or so. And it yeah, felt I think like 16th that, was where they got 16, A.J. Griffin. 16. So it felt like could that pick be in play? And, Alex, I think we're both in agreement. I mean, 16th pick for Brogdon, that would have been awesome. Yeah. You know, but, you know, obviously
1: things went in a different direction. Go- could have got Tari Eason. I mean, my would goodness. Would have been
2: fantastic.
1: Yeah, we'll see what they do at 29 this year. But um let's, let's, look, let's look at this question here, Fachi, because could the Pacers have held out longer and got better value in the offseason before making a Brogdon trade? So they traded him like right after the draft. But if they would have just waited a little bit until free agency had settled down a little bit more, kind of had an idea of what was going on, could they have found better value than what they got? It's a tough question because when I first –
2: saw this question, I went, oh, I think they could have got better value. I think they wanted to get the, the you know, Brogdon's salary off the books. You know, maybe, maybe they could have gotten a, a better pick. Maybe yeah. a pick between 20 to 25 instead of kind of putting yourself in a spot where that pick's going to be no better than 25, but be from 25 to 30. Um, Could they have gotten that pick and a young, promising player as good as Neesmith? I don't know. Maybe it's taking on a bad contract. But then when you think about what was going on with Atlanta Hawks make that trade for DeJounte Murray? Okay, now all of a sudden they're not in the market. We saw what was going on with some other trades. Free agency started really drying up. I then start to think, you know what? I, I think the Pacers probably really wanted to do right by Brogdon, send him to a, a contender, and that is why that value came down. We saw that that was confirmed, but I started to wonder that the, the trade market last year it started looking a little bit dry. Mm-hmm. And for a player like Brogdon who had been injured, I wonder. But when you look at what the Pacers got, you got to imagine someone probably would have given more, but it might have taken some time.
1: But let me throw this hypothetical out to you because yeah. I just brought it up with the Lakers trading for, for Buddy and Miles for 27 and 29. Swap out Buddy, put in Malcolm Brogdon. Does that trade get done? I don't know. I don't know. I think That's it tough. does. I think it That's does tough. because Brogdon, they needed a point guard they did. that could play defense and shoot the basketball. Yeah. They're not going to play fast. They don't play that fast right now. You put Turner, who can shoot the three next to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis did not want to play the five. They've actually got him to play the five a lot more now because of the trades they made at the deadline. But you know, I, I do think that that trade probably happens. You might be able to get another piece in there. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know if it would have happened, but you might have been, even been able to get Austin Reeves in that deal. Wow. I mean, you know,
2: now what we know now with how well Austin Reeves has played, that would have been very, very interesting. At think, the moment. At the moment. That's something you could only say because he had a, a year that no one expected out of him. Yeah. Um, so now all of a sudden that man's played himself into, you know, people are talking at least $15 million a year, maybe yeah. more, or, um, but or you would could, be very interesting.
1: Or you could have gotten... Taylor Horton Tucker, because I don't think at this point, Utah or the Lakers try to trade for Pat Bev if they have Malcolm Brogdon. So you could have got THT with Westbrook in the two picks. Obviously, you don't keep Westbrook on the roster. You let him go. He goes to the Clippers probably early on, plays with the Clippers all season long. Maybe that changes their whole entire thing. But now you're looking at, you know, uh, unprotected first in uh, 2027 and 2029 with THT for Brogdon and Turner. Is that more enticing to you than Aaron Neesmith? Without a doubt, I mean,
2: (laughs) no, no doubt about it. Look, love me some Neesmith. Very appreciative that he came on the show. Love what I saw this year. But you're talking about two, you know, unprotected. You would imagine maybe lightly protected, maybe top four protected or so. Future picks; those could be very valuable, and that continues to allow the Pacers to stockpile assets and flexibility. I think that that would have been an awesome trade, if possible.
1: I, I honestly will say this, Fachi. It's gonna sound crazy, but if they have those two picks, twenty-seven and twenty-nine, they can probably flip those and land one of OG or Mikael Bridges at this year's deadline if they, they have had no those assets it. in their back pocket. I so, don't
2: want to get caught up in my feelings and get upset that I could have. You know, we could have had Bridges. At we had more point, options, you know. But yes, I mean those picks. Would have been very appealing for a team like Toronto or or Brooklyn, who at that point is like, hey, you know what, we we need to we need to get some assets. You know, maybe maybe that's enough to get the deal done. I do think you probably get the deal done for OG.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. And I don't think you have to give up both for OG. Yeah, yeah, probably yeah. one of them. I mean, just because like 2029, what the Lakers going to look like? I mean, who has any idea? I'm no just saying they they were able to hold on to that pick. But I think even if the, the Brogdon hadn't worked out as great in L.A. as maybe the, the package I got back, I, I don't know. I still think it would have made some sense. But that's besides the point. Let's look at it from this point. If they had held him to the deadline, Fachi, do you think that they could have got a better package at the deadline for him?
2: I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. I think okay. his role could have potentially changed. They could have maybe scaled back his minutes a bit. You know, Maybe he doesn't look as well or as comfortable in, in what the Pacers are doing. He is still owed $45 million moving forward. I, I do think that the time to trade him is probably going to be in the offseason, but, I mean, we can't guarantee that he would have had this same type of season that he's having yeah. right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'll go back to the Lakers' point, too, because if their season was as bad as it was, could they have been that desperate for Miles and Malcolm at that point? I think you can make the case for it. I think also a team to look at that was involved in another trade for a point guard, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, they didn't give up a bunch for Mike Conley, but I think you could say that Malcolm Brogdon probably makes a little more sense than, than Conley because of the age, right? And, and the contract is pretty fair, and they probably wouldn't have to give up as much. They didn't have a lot of picks to trade. So what other prospects What would they have given up from? I don't know. But I think there would have been more teams in, in, enticed by him. And then you got to think Boston's probably in a worse spot. And what do they want? So I I think there could have been more options out there if Brogdon had been on the Pacers. And you know, I I really do think that they could have found something. But at this point, we have to we have to speculate would Brogdon have even been healthy? And that, that's a million at. dollar question. Would he have been healthy? Because he could have got hurt. I mean, it's it's freak stuff like that with Brogdon. You never know. So this one is a little bit tougher to weigh, in my opinion, if they could have found better value than what they got. But I still think that deal there with Neesmith, Tice. And the three in the in the pick is still there on the table, at the at the trade deadline.
3: Yeah,
2: I do think a deal like that is available, and I'm looking at it for Brogdon played 26 minutes per game this season in Boston. He was playing about seven to eight minutes more per game in Indiana. Yeah. You know, maybe if they were doing it at a faster pace, maybe he does kind of get a little bit more wear and tear to the point where teams are like, ah, you know what, I'm just a little bit scared off. I'm not gonna not going to touch it, and then the
1: Pacers are then waiting to the offseason to then deal. For sure, Apache So let's let's close this out here. Two questions for you um, before we bring on our fan of the week. Does Pritchard's comment uh, comments about knowing, uh, not knowing if Smith is a starter or a bench player make you feel like they settled for the Brogdon trade?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Because I, I really do think the Brogdon trade was tied to landing DeAndre Ayton. And when you didn't, now it's like, Aaron Eastmith, I think, did he played better than he anyone could have expected. However, you know he's, he's one of the few players that showed something on defense. So that's got to be worth something. However, I don't think the Pacers ever viewed him as a long term starter. I think it was just, oh my god, this team's lacking wings. You know what they want to go with a three guard approach. Yeah, you know, they, they they musical chairs at the four spot. I mean, everyone was getting a turn. I felt like this this was <laughs> kind of done to clear some salary. The big move never happened, and yeah, I just don't know how many teams Aaron Neesmith starts on that are also in playoff contention.
1: Yeah, and no, he doesn't start on any. <laughs> I mean, come on, yeah, now, let's be really honest. I mean, maybe he starts with the Caps because they need a small forward badly. I mean, honestly, like that's like the only team I could think of in the playoffs that he probably starts on. I mean, and let's let's give Aaron Neesmith some credit here because he really did step up and play great this yeah. year. And I don't want to talk bad about Neesmith by saying this, but. You know, when you view Neesmith on this team compared to where where Brogdon's role was, Neesmith is fifth, sixth best player on this team probably this season. Where you you look at Brogdon, if he was on this team, he'd probably be second or third best player. So that's kind of how you have to weigh this trade. So I do think they settled. I really do. And I think that we called it a win-win trade because we're like, oh, thank God Brogdon's out of here, right? We were and so happy to get him out of here. Yeah, I mean, that's what it came down to. Yeah, we're like, free Halliburton. Get, get yep. out of here. And I think we were just prisoners of the moment. And we we usually give the Pacers front office a pass for the trades they've made because they have made some really good trades. They've panned out. But I think in the moment, if you go back and look at it, I think they settled a little bit. I, I think that as high as we were on this at the moment, looking back in retrospect, even because Neesmith probably had the best outcome you could ever have imagined for this trade to make, make I, it I look so. good. I think And still at this point, I feel like it was a bit of a settle. I think it was a settle because let's also think about it. In the beginning of the year, Neesmith
2: was off to a rough start. I mean, it almost looked like it was like, I don't know if this guy could play or not. And and luckily he did have a much better like three-fourths of the season compared to the beginning. Um, But at the time, if that didn't work out, this trade would actually look look awful. It would look nothing more than just clearing salary and kind of punting on Brogdon. So I think that this was very much a settle at the time to be like, because think about it, the Basers had time. It's not like they needed to make this deal. It was like they were very much like, you know what, we're making the deal happen. We're not going to wait, you know, any longer. Let's just get it done with, and let's be able to set ourselves up to be able to make some moves.
1: And you know, yeah, you know and and I, I kind of well, I kind of wondered too. Like, had they had Brogdon around? Could a sign in trade of of DeAndre Ayton, including Brogdon and Turner, made that more enticing for them. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like we 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 talked about Buddy Hill being like, oh, could they give Buddy and Miles up for DeAndre Ayton for a sign in trade? It's like, okay, well, like Malcolm actually makes sense. He's a great backup to Chris Paul. He would embrace the six-man role like he did with Boston. I think he would embrace it there. You already have Bridges, you'd have Turner. Uh, we know that Jay Crowder at this point was not going to start, but I think the Pacers probably ask for something else back in return in this deal. Do they give up Cam Johnson? I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a thought that you could throw out there. Do they give up Cam Johnson and DeAndre Eaton for Brogdon and Turner? I mean, that's probably probably a little bit steep of a price, I yeah, would yeah, say. Yeah, too much. But I love if it, it, but. If don't they don't do want to offer eight in the max and they can get two quality players, probably your fourth, fifth best player on the roster, maybe third and fourth at this point. I think they maybe consider it, but you know, they, they believe the for sure. First around first pick overall. So not saying I would have done that. I'm just saying, could that have helped if they really wanted eight at this point, but uh, yeah. So Neesmith, unfortunately, I felt like this was a bit of a, a bit of a settlement uh, for the Pacers on this trade, but last question here before we bring on a fan of the week at the end of the day, Was this a win-win trade like many have claimed to be? Or are we giving the Pacers front office too much credit for trading away their second best player for the previous three seasons for a role player event that doesn't fit the roster and a super late first? Alex, when you sum it up like that, it's hard to say this is a win-win. Like
2: We talked about Brogdon at one point had the potential to be an all-star, potentially grow into it. We know it didn't happen. We know that he was hurt. But in the end, we're probably giving the front office too much credit. We did trade the sixth man of the year for a young, promising player who, you know, could continue to develop, a center that absolutely rotted on our bench for all but seven games, and the second worst first-round pick, you know, available. So now it all comes down to this. This is the only way to potentially turn it into a win-win trade. What do you flip Daniel Tice for? What do you use that first round pick and the money that you save for? Because yeah. Neesmith, you get the feeling, okay, good rotational player. Let's see if he can continue to grow. But if you can flip that 29th overall pick into an asset to bring in a more established player and Daniel Tice as salary filler, that becomes the move that enabled this to be a win-win. But at this moment, it ain't a win-win.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I I still think that it's... Not completely finished yet because we don't know what the 29th pick will be. So maybe we can revisit this next season at this point and say, okay, let's go back and view that Brogdon trade. Here's what we said last time. Does that 29th pick matter? Do they use that in the trade to get somebody else? I mean, I I think that that pick is very unique in a lot of certain ways because it's very late. I don't love it. (laughs) You know, a lot of people try to trade out of that area because you don't want to give a guaranteed salary to a guy that. You know, it's getting drafted almost in the second round where you can kind of negotiate your own thing. So I think it's very unique. Uh, they're in a unique situation to continue to build upon this trade. But right now, where it's at, like you said, it was the Boston Celtics win. The Pacers lost on this trade. Brad Stevens get the uh, got the upper hand here with Kevin Pritchard in this deal. Now, final thing, Fachi, give me a grade overall for this trade for the Pacers.
2: Maybe a B minus.
1: I was going to say C plus, okay.
2: Yeah, I I'd say I'd say a B minus. I I love, you know, me me in a mystery box. What could happen with the savings of this trade? We don't know yet, but the Pacers did create a lot of flexibility in terms of a salary cap standpoint, in terms of acquiring a young player and a draft asset. With that, then becomes the okay, if there's a part 2 that relates to this move then there's something, but on paper, I give it a B minus. We did not take back any sort of crippling salary by any means. And we enabled Halliburton to become an all-star, be the guy that leads by example. Uh, and that in itself is worth something.
1: Yeah, it was definitely an addition by subtraction for sure. Yep. In certain areas. But I think if you're looking at the straight-up trade for what it actually was, it's a C plus. Now I think if you factor in everything else that helped Nimhard grow, that helped Halliburton grow, that helped, um, I guess you could say Buddy Hill grow this season as well, get his value up, then maybe I'll bump it up to a B, a solid B. But if I'm looking at just a trade by itself, I think that's the best way to look at it instead of looking at what all it did besides that. Because, you know, I'm sure that if Andrew Nimhard was that good, he would have found playing time. So we can we can say that. And I think he probably plays a little bit more when, when Malcolm misses games of injuries because we know that's going to happen. So... Uh, really fun conversation, though, to go back and look at this and just kind of give our thoughts on what the actual trade was. And, you know, I don't really hate Malcolm Brogdon like a lot of guys did. But I think at this point, fans were just so fed up with Brogdon and his numerous injuries that they would have traded him for pennies on the dollar and been happy with him.
2: Yeah, I grew a little bit sour with Brogdon because I think that we all, maybe this was just wrong of us, expected him to be the leader. I think we saw someone that was like, okay, this is Brogdon's team. He's going to lead. And to be honest, I don't think he wanted to lead. I don't think that's who he wants to be. We saw someone that was in the community doing a lot of great things, someone who was extremely well-spoken. It felt like, oh, this guy is going to like be the voice of the locker room. And I don't think that's what he wanted. I think yeah. Brogdon wanted to be one of the guys but not really be the guy. And I think that in Boston he's in a really good situation. Maybe he wins a championship there, and maybe they look back and saying this was a a key, you know, move for them. But, you know, going back to that Cavs trade that we we talked about before with Levert, at one point, it looked like the Pacers were going to get a really good draft pick. Maybe, you know, I don't know, like a a top 20 pick. Pacers didn't get that pick. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, like Ricky Rubio obviously never plays, resigns, anything of that sort. And then we're looking at, wow, we got the 31st overall pick, and if that pick doesn't convey... First round pick, it'll end up being, I think, two second round picks. Yeah. Well, you know what? Andrew Nemhard worked out fantastically. We're getting a first round pick. Lavert has not looked good. I think that was a trade that, in the moment, you know, might not have looked great for the Pacers. Now looks better. Maybe, maybe this trade ends up swinging a different direction about a year or two from now.
1: Yeah, I, I but, definitely think that the Nemhard trade or the, excuse me, the Lavert trade is a little bit different just because is, the Cavs were like, they should have made the playoffs last year like they should have the fact that they fell out of that play-in tournament was just beyond wild so you know the Pacers at that time I believe it was like they were projected to 96% make the playoffs so at that point you make the swing now you still get the first round pick this year they made the playoffs much better team this year going for Donovan Mitchell the pick's not as good but kudos to the Cavs because that pick that they got last year by keeping a lottery protected helped them land Donovan Mitchell so you know, I'll just say it this way. It worked out because I don't think Karis avert was, you know, really the player that we needed him to be for this team, for Brett Carlisle's system, and I think Andrew Nimhart is, so that one worked. But that has nothing to do with the Brogdon trade. We'll talk about that one another time. But uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll bring on our fan of the week, Pacers Fan Gage.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Alright everybody, joining us now, we're bringing back the Fan of the Week segment, and I want to thank Gage very much. Gage is a huge Pacer fan, been a Pacer fan since the Reggie days, obviously, I think that's where a lot of us started out as Pacer fans, but Gage, really excited to have you on, man, how you doing, what's going on?
3: I'm doing great, thank you for asking, um, I'm excited to be here, it's, I've been listening since really the beginning of this year, I found you through Twitter and everything, so nice, nice that find a podcast to listen to about the Pacers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate that, man. Always enjoy meeting our listeners and getting to hear their thoughts on things. So let's just let's just kind of look at this season as a whole. Uh, we've talked about it. We have had other people come on and talk about this season, but you know, here we are sitting at the, the the seventh spot in the lottery with a chance to get into the top four potentially. We don't know yet, but you know, this season really looked like it was promising for a little bit. Then the Halliburton injury kind of took everything down a little bit.
3: Talk to me about this season and maybe your experience as a fan from this year. Um, my I guess I would say this season for the Pacers were successful and also unsuccessful at the same time. It was successful because we really overachieved from I think what everyone thought, and you know, we saw a lot of potential going forward, but also unsuccessful because we were also told at the beginning of the season we were gonna kind of tank. <laughs> so we kind of didn't really succeed with that part, I guess. So it was really fun to kind of see, you know, the potential and Halliburton be an all-star and, you know, see what this team could really be going forward. But it kind of uh, wasn't great to see us win a few games that we probably should have lost to get us better odds in the draft as well.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely hear you on that. But how did you maybe, what were your expectations coming into the season? I know you talked about tanking, but like, were you able to be like, okay, so you know what, I'm not going to get worked up about losses, but I do want to see maybe some player development, or what were you looking
1: for?
3: Um, I was just really looking for everyone to kind of like get better and grow team chemistry through the season. Um, It was great to see, you know, Halliburton and Miles Turner have a really good connection through the year. I think that was big for the Pacers going forward and obviously the growth of Ben Matherin. Um, but yeah, my my expectations were kind of just, I hope to see them get better and be competitive in all the games they play. You know, obviously, there's going to be some that they're not, but I just was hoping for good games all throughout the season, really, whether win or lose. Obviously, I want them to win because I am a Pacers fan. But
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. No, I mean, I, I think it's it's hard to root for losses, especially with a fun, likable team like this team is. And and now there's a lot of question marks. How do they get better and improve upon the roster with this off season and, and with the draft coming up? So I'm just curious, maybe your thoughts on the off season? Is there, you know, a, a way you'd like to see the Pacers attack this thing?
3: Um. I would like to see them trade a couple pieces. Maybe I could see a world where they trade a Buddy Hield and a TJ McConnell in the off season. They might keep one for the trade deadline. But I think it was Caitlin Cooper that was on a couple episodes ago that said Buddy's uh, put, or his value right now is at the highest it could be. Um, so I could I could see him gone, but with him being Halliburton's, um, you know, pretty much best friend, I'd say it's hard to say but I'd like to see them really go out and get some wings to help defend and someone rebounding at the four to help miles.
2: You know, that, that would be awesome. And, and I I do think that it's a valid point. I mean, buddy hit, I think it was like 288 three pointers, so nearly 300. I mean, that's puts him in the upper echelon of three point shooters in the league. And he's going into a contract year. So this could be the time to move him, but also he was a player that played real well for the Pacers. So it's a tough spot. However, Going to next year. Pretend this team is fully healthy. They make some upgrades. You know, maybe it's not a a big splash, but some upgrades. How do you view this team going into next season? Your well, expectations
3: before Halliburton got injured. I think we were the sixth seed, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere. So I could, re- I could, uh, I could realistically see them being a four or five seed, really in the playoffs. You know, somewhere in there. Um, maybe they surprise us and be a three seed. It'd be hard to really get there with the Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I could, see, yeah, I could see us being a four or five seed with some upgrades and some positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting next year because, well, I think everybody believes Milwaukee and Boston will still be in full effect. What it, what do the Sixers do? Does James Harden leave for Houston? I think that's a big right. question mark because I think he's been more important to their team than people probably talk about. And I think that Embiid's having an MVP season, but you got to think about that. The Heat, you know, they look like they were dead in the water before all the honest injuries, and how do they go about attacking attacking this? And then, of course, you got to look at the Cavaliers. They could be making some changes too if they get beaten five or six to the Knicks in round one because this is a team that wants to win, but they don't have a lot of options either since they went all in for Donovan Mitchell. So I think it's honestly like who knows what's going to happen. There's a lot of question marks on a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference, but I think the Pacers have themselves – in a good spot with a, a nice young player and Halliburton to kind of build around with Rick Carlisle at the helm. So I guess the last question for me, what has been your favorite moment of this year for the Pacers? And then give me your favorite moment
3: all time as a Pacer fan. Um, My favorite moment, I think it's kind of tied for me. And unfortunately, it's not the Andrew Part three because I didn't get to see that game. I was busy doing something uh-huh. but my the two the two favorite uh, moments for me were the Tyrese Halliburton three against the Heat the game winner and then the Halliburton game winner on Pat Bev just because of all the talk and everything yeah. that was so fun to. I think I was watching the game and I kind of like screamed and my fiance looked at me like what what's going on <laughs> yeah I was like, you, sure. just don't, you yeah. don't get it <laughs> But uh, my all-time favorite moment, I think, was Paul George dunking on Chris Anderson in the playoffs. That was amazing to watch at the time.
2: It really was. That was quite the dunk, and I think that will always live on for Pacer Highlights. Mm -hmm. Uh, My last question before we wrap up is, which player do you think maybe makes the biggest jump next season?
3: Who makes the biggest jump? Um, Honestly, I mean, I think the easy answer is Ben Matherin. But I'm gonna say I think Miles makes another big jump. Mm,
2: I would uh, love to see that. That yeah. would be great.
3: I I think he could be a twenty and nine, twenty and ten kind of guy. Really, if we if we have the right team around him with you know a good a good four that can play defense and rebound with them, I think he can be a twenty and twenty and nine, twenty and ten guy.
1: Awesome stuff, man. Well, yeah, I think Miles growing would be something to. I'd love to see him become more of a rebounder. I thought that he might take that step this year, which I think he did improve a um, a, a smidge, but not yeah. much. <laughs> so that that's one of those things where you want to see Miles become more effective on the glass, and hopefully with better perimeter defense, he can be a more effective rebounder and not always be the last line of defense that's always trying to block shots. But with that being said, Gage, I'm sure you know how we end our show um, with a "Let's Go Pacers." So. Um, Focci, I think it's I think we gotta give Gage the floor here to hit us with those three words. Alright, well, Gage, if you're looking for
2: this Pacers team to make some upgrades this season, then hit us with these
1: three words.
3: Let's go, Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop next Gage. Mm-hmm.